This is Jeff Deist, and you're listening to the Human Action Podcast. All right. Hello. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. It's nice to have a live audience for the Human Action Podcast this week. We're, we're in Auburn uh, at the tail end of Mises University, and uh, it's great to have a, a, a live audience in front of us. And it's also great to have a good friend of ours, uh, Dr. Liliana Stern. She teaches just across the street at Auburn University, uh, both macro and money and banking. Uh, she actually obtained her master's degree in economics in her native country of, of Ukraine, in Kiev, uh, before coming to the U.S. to study at Indiana University, where she obtained her Ph.D., and uh, Auburn University hired her uh, in the faculty here. Uh, she has also done some work with the Ministry of Finance and the Central Bank as a consultant, again, in, in her native Ukraine. So she has a very interesting story. And uh, although the Human Action Podcast, normally we focus on, we're not afraid of economic theory in this podcast, which I think sets us apart. Uh, my, my goal is to try to be the liaison between the academics and the lay audience, um, and to try to help, help uh, a lay audience understand some of these economic concepts and simplify them and demystify them. Uh, so we get into theory and history, we get into all kinds of things, but this week we're going to get into some real talk about economics as a profession, economics as an undergraduate major, which some of you may, may already be or be considering, uh, whether a PhD in economics is worth your time and effort and youth and, and some other great subjects. So let's give a big round of applause to our guest. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Dr. Stern has some students here from her class, so it's good to see some Auburn faces yeah, in the crowd. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that. So. Is that extra credit? I guess, yeah. Well, they are not students anymore, but I'm glad that they came, even though they can't get any extra credit well, from me. Well, they get so. psychic credit for that. I mean, it's like... <laughs> Well, you know, uh, Peter Klein and I had a, a conversation a few months back, and I, and I, I want to open with a very broad question. I'll get your take on it. Give us your view of, this, of the state of the profession of economics, both professional and academic. I mean, there's a lot of people at the Mises Institute and in this audience who would say that economics is not in very good shape. Um, well, from my background, as Jeff told you, that I have quite unusual background because I grew up in the Soviet Union. So that's what all my students tell me, that I'm quite unusual economics professor in a way that I have the other side of the story and I have uh, firsthand experience growing up in socialist and communist economy, while other people who you know, favors this type of economic system, usually just read about it. So I think this uh, kind of make me stand apart from these people, because I think it's very different when you read about something when you experienced it, uh, and you have real life examples. So, and uh, my take on the economic profession is that I think what I see is that unfortunately, at a lot of places becoming very one-sided, and the way it's taught, uh, in uh, American colleges, it's usually just uh, very one-sided, and it's usually a Keynesian types of economics, which is very pro-government. So, and I try to stay away from that. So, even though you know I use textbooks that have Keynesian economic models, but uh, always when I teach my class, I give I start discussion with students, and I you know I give them like different perspectives on things. So I try to discuss different, um, you know, directions in economics and have different school of economic thought 
would uh, view certain issue and so on. But again, uh, going back to Jeff's question is that I think, and it's um, kind of upsetting to me to see that in a lot of American colleges, it's usually the way economics is taught is very one-sided. So students are not exposed to different views of, of the same issue and they are not, you know, they are not encouraged to discuss and express their opinion and maybe disagree with things and so on. It's interesting if you if you talk to college professors uh, in the sociology department, in the social sciences, certainly law faculties, intersectional studies, that they they consider uh, economics departments right wing. They think that relative to other uh, disciplines, econ professors are at least center right. And and do you think they're wrong? Yes, I think they are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, that's not my observation. So I think that may be true for some schools, but a uh, majority of schools, I mean, of, you know, any principles, I think majority of principles of economics textbook used in American colleges are just Keynesian economic model, which is government everything. So, and this is obviously, you know, and, uh, and very little um, role for markets. So, well, you mentioned textbooks. I think Peter Klein pointed out the other day that the Paul, Samuels, Paul Samuelson textbook, which went through several editions, made him a very rich man, uh, was, was at one point the most, used, uh, most assigned textbook in America. And, and so when you say you use Keynesian, text, Keynesian textbooks, uh, is this coming from um, the administration or is this generally what's available? That's generally what's available. So majority of economic textbooks. But again, even though I use this as my main textbook, but you know, I make my students aware of different viewpoints. And uh, I try to discuss and I kind of emphasize this is how this type of economist views these issues, but there are other views on things. And uh, you know, and even when we discuss, even my students maybe can chime in. So when we discuss um, adjustment and, you know, uh, business cycle. I always talk about, you know, the usual Keynesian views that government has to do stuff. But what I say, they always stress the self-adjustment and the market adjustment. So I use this as a like base framework because if they go on to take other econ classes, they need to know that because other people will use the Keynesian framework. But I, I make them aware of other, you know, viewpoints on this issue. Well, apart from viewpoints or particular schools of thought, let's just ask this. Are, are theory and history even being taught much? In other words, is everything applied economics, even at the undergraduate level? Is theory dead? I don't see much uh, economic history taught in, mm -hmm. in terms of different school of economics. Again, as I said, it's mainly just one that's kind of being, uh, you know, um, everywhere, at least at the principles level. So students are not aware in most classes that there are different school of thoughts in economics. So, and maybe it depends on a professor, like I do that, but I know that most other instructors who teach principles, they just, you know, this is economic theory. So students are not even aware that there are other school of thoughts, you know, and that uh, this is not the only way. That's, you know, government has to do this and this and intervene and, you know, whenever we have, an economic recession, government has to step in or there will be the end of the world. So this is how most people teach that. 
So I think that uh, students are unfortunately given only like just a very one-sided story. And this is what, uh, what upsetting to me because I think the main goal in teaching economics should be um, make young people you know, help them to think critically and being able to analyze. But if you just provide one way of thinking, I mean, there is not much room left for any analysis or critical thinking. If you just, you know, you're just throwing, okay, this is what's going on. And you make people believe that this is the only way and this is the absolute truth, this theory. So you don't leave much room for discussion or for critical thinking. And that's not how I teach. So I teach economics. I tell my students that my main goal is to make you, to help you think critically after this class. I don't expect you all to be economics professors or anything like that, but I want you to be able to think and analyze things. And don't take everything you hear on the news, you read about as an absolute truth. I want you to be able to analyze things and you know, look at them differently. Well, of course, if you go to Auburn, you might have the good fortune to take a class on uh, economic history with our own Dr. Mark Thornton. And they use a textbook in that class that was written um, by uh, Bobby Hebert, who was mm -hmm. at, at, at Auburn, and also our own uh, uh, Bob Eklund, who is Auburn. It's an absolutely phenomenal textbook. If you look it up, we have some copies here. It's an expensive book, but it's an absolutely beautiful survey of the history of economic thought. It's, it's almost like a reference book you can keep at your desk. And, and so, uh, you know, there, there is, that, that is still being taught, but it's being taught sporadically and, and here and there. Um, you know, when you talk about only one perspective being presented, you know, when you hear uh, left progressives today talk about economics, there's some kind of celebritarian economists like Paul Krugman and Noah Smith, who runs a Twitter feed called No Opinion. You might know that. Um, it, you know, m my sense is that a lot of people on the left in the West today, they don't really think economics is a legitimate discipline. In other words, they don't think there's such thing as economic laws and that economics is, is secondary to government and the state can just sort of literally command the economy. And, and there's, there really is no such thing as economic law. It's just what we pass as a policy matter. <laughs> a funny story about Paul Krugman. Once I was asked, I ask all the time to review um, principal tax for you know pr uh, for economics classes. So they sent me Krugman's book, and I wrote such a bad review that the chief editor called me, <laughs> and he said, "Wow, your review was so negative." And I said, "Well, you guys forgot to do a background check on me." I said, "You know, I grew up in Soviet Union. Why are you sending me this book by?" You know, every single example is about government intervention. I said, every single example in his book. I said, I was just being honest. They never sent me any Krugman books for review. But he was like, well, thank you for your honesty. I said, well, whoever works for you, you know, didn't do their job because they obviously should have predicted that I would not like this textbook because I grew up in that system and this guy is just, you know, treats government as as God and solution to all problems. And I said, I was just being honest and this is what I do with every economic text. You know, I do my job and I review and I give them honest review, but that book is just really got under my skin. So like they called me and they, <laughs> so it's like, well, that was very honest. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I agree it, to me, especially Paul Krugman, he just, um, he just thinks that I actually don't know how a person with economic education can 
believe in that that government you know uh is essentially like a savior and government should be everywhere so it's just hard for me to understand how people with phd in economics you know could favor government intervention to that degree so but so uh, a lot of our students here are um undergraduate econ majors or considering it um Talk about give it, give us your thoughts on that. Is it, it would you recommend it as a major in general? Do you think, without going any further in school, that economics uh, economics graduates are getting jobs? Uh, economics. Of course, I will. <laughs> I will say that uh, you, you, some people may say that I am biased because I'm an economics professor, but. Again, it depends on where you go to school to study economics, but hopefully, uh, you know, the places you go, uh, you'll be lucky to have professors with different backgrounds and not just like get this one-sided story that I talked about before. But uh, in general, I just think that economics prepares you for life really well, and it's a very broad major that can, um, you know, you can get jobs in various fields if you have an economics undergraduate degree and especially our uh, majors we have we have a very small department so we have in total like maybe 120 majors across all years so it's very small by urban standards but our students uh, the placement has been outstanding so a lot of our students i would say probably like 50 percent of our students go on to law schools so this year we had penn we had harvard we have three students currently in harvard law school we had chicago law school so our program definitely prepares them well for law schools and i think that component of you know um critical thinking helps a lot when uh, to prepare you well for law school. And then also we have law and economics class that we offer, and that's very valuable. So again, our students are doing great and continue on as uh, lawyers. And a lot of them, we had a couple of students who went on to um, and got a joint um, PhD in economics and a law degree. So I think Vanderbilt and what is that, uh, Georgetown, or I don't know which school in DC has this joint program, and one school in uh, Florida. So the, I, I know of three schools in the United States that offer that. So, and several of our students went on to those, and you know, essentially in seven years you got a double PhD. So you become a lawyer and you also have PhD in econ. And this is probably a great option for those who want to do like corporate law. Uh, also our students, but our students uh, also, you know, not just going to law schools, but they're getting jobs in corporate world. So we have one of my former students work at Ford Motor Company, the research department. Uh, a lot of students work in commercial banks. So I have former students, he's like vice president of regions banks, just different, different fields. And I think, you know, because economics is such a general field and just, you know, teaches you how to think and analyze things. So it prepares you for a lot of, you know, potential careers that you may wanna, you may wanna choose later in your life. So definitely, I would, you know, uh, if you're interested in economics, I would encourage you to pursue, you know, a degree in economics, and because um, it prepares you well, and you can get jobs in different field. As I tell our students that it essentially replaces all business school degrees because a lot of students come and they have this 
kind of wrong perception of economics, and I don't know, I didn't obviously go to high school in this country, but that's what people tell me, that the way economics is taught in this country in high schools, public high schools, it just gives students very wrong perception of the field of economics because it's usually taught by Coach Brian or Coach something. So, and essentially what they teach them, Again, this is just taking words from my American husband. I didn't go to high school here. But uh, what they teach them is like, uh, you know, um, your checkbook balancing and something like that. So they think that's what economics is about when they come from high school. Uh, and, uh, and they think, or they think that, you know, it's just a very dry science. So you want to be this an old, you know, overweight man teaching some like dried up science. So this is, but this is not at all what economics is about and should be about. So, and I tell a lot of students, so when they come, you know, usually if they take my macro class, I get a lot of uh, kids interested in the field of economics and they come talk to me and I ask them, what's your major right now? They tell me it's business, uh, finance or accounting, or we get a lot of engineers. And they usually have no idea what they can do with economics degree later in life, or they will get them any job. So I have to, uh, you know, tell them what options available. And I tell them, especially with business degree, I tell them that economics essentially replaces all business degrees. And I said, if you look at, at the, you know, job advertisement, it will be like, you know, requirements for some job. It will say finance degree or economics. It will be management degree or economics, marketing degree or economics, accounting degree. So it's just a very broad degree that, you know, encompasses a lot of different fields because I think of this critical thinking that I'm trying to teach my students and hopefully other professors. So do you think... Uh the economics department belongs in business schools at universities, or do you think it belongs in the College of Liberal Arts? Well, statistically, it's a 50-50 split, I think, about that in the United States. And uh, as some of you probably know, we, we, our department has been in business school for many years, and then due to some political fights, which I don't know much about, we were moved to liberal arts. I feel like uh, we kind of fit in better with liberal arts folks, but again, you know, if you're looking at statistics around the United States, it's 50-50. Uh, but personally, I think that it belongs, um, you know, with liberal arts because it's a social science. It's about human behavior. So that's my personal opinion, that we just fit in better with um, liberal arts, College of Liberal Arts. Well, let's talk about people who are thinking about perhaps getting a PhD in economics. Now, I can s speak anecdotally because at the Mises Institute, obviously, we know a lot of PhDs, we know a lot of university professors, we know a lot of students. So anecdotally, uh, I think econ PhDs, like undergraduate, are a, rel a relative bright spot in terms of employment prospects. But maybe we can start by just, I I'm not sure people really and truly understand how mathy uh, things have become. In other words, a lot of what you do in your coursework to get a PhD in economics is, is high-level math. Very high-end math. And, uh, you know, when I first came to Indiana, um, so most graduate programs start with a math boot camp. So before you start taking classes in end of, end of August, they tell you to arrive two weeks earlier and you have to do the uh, math boot camp. Doesn't and that it sound is like, like fun, guys, in August? A little <laughs> boot math camp. boot camp? And... Uh, I remember when I arrived in Indiana in 2000, it was like August 8th of 2000, so a long time ago, almost 20 years ago. And I started the um, 
boot camp, so they gave me the math books, I thought that maybe I'm in the wrong classroom somehow. You know, I wandered around into like a math PhD hallway or something. But um, yeah, so it's very, very um, mathematical, a lot of math and a lot of statistics. And unfortunately, and this is, I was lucky not to have professors that um, recognize that and they also told us, I remember my, uh, like my professor who became my advisor later on, he said that you have to see economics behind every equation. Writing down a crazy equation, it's not enough. Like you have to tell me what does it mean? And this is, and that's what I teach my students. Okay, you've wrote down this equation, but what does it mean? What implications, what policy implications or what? So, and this is unfortunately, I think kind of becoming a problem with economics because it's becoming so technical that people forget about economics. I don't know, this is how you feel about it, but this is how I feel that, yes, it uses high-end math, but sometimes people just, you know, they don't go beyond the math, the mathematical equations. They don't try to understand the economics behind all of that. And this is what I try to avoid when I teach, especially my intermediate class. You know, if you write down some model, I always ask my students, how oh, Jason can confirm, what does this mean? Like, you got this result. Now tell me, what does this mean? So I don't want them just to see numbers. I want them able to, uh, you know, be able to understand the economics behind these numbers. But unfortunately, that's not how um, everybody's teaching, and especially at the level like PhD. Sometimes we see that just, they just ask you, okay, prove that this equals to that. But where is the economics? So a lot of, you know, a lot of people forget about economics behind that. They're just so involved into this high-end mathematical equation or statistical equations. But I guess that one point here is realistically, if you're going to uh, consider a PhD from an American program, you're probably going to have to be to have your chops in math. I mean, that's. Would you agree? You're just you're just going to have yeah. to have that aptitude. So that it's something to think about. So we have our um, our department actually have two undergraduate tracks, and one of them is called quantitative um, quantitative econ. So it's preparing students for uh, graduate career, and those students have to take high level math classes like real analysis and other classes from the math department because we want them to succeed if they decide, you know, to get master's degree or PhD. We don't want them to feel like lost and not be able to do that math. But yeah, that's correct. Like, if you, you know, if you're not too good with math, like you can't. Uh, it's just you cannot do well in a PhD program. It's all very, you know, high level mathematics and statistical analysis as well. Well, it's interesting that Dr. Stern mentions uh, saying to her students, okay, you've got this equation, what does it mean? Because in a sense, we've come full circle because uh, writers like Mises were derided as so-called literary economists. Because if you look at Mises, there's no charts and graphs and equations in any of his work. And then, we, you know, fast forward to the, to the uh, end of the, well, in, you know, the latter half of the 20th century, we had... Uh, economics reaching the point where a lot of people literally thought any economic proposition ought to be able to be expressed as an equation almost almost a pure mathematical model and now we, we you know now we discover that sometimes getting the math right doesn't give you the understanding behind it well it's just how I am doing that and, and I said like a few professors doing but a lot of people especially like young generation economists they they just 
mathematicians, in my opinion. You know, they write down the models, they don't really understand. I had friends like that, they were just so technical. And if you ask them like, but what, what are the implications of this result? What, you know, what will happen? Can you predict what will happen with the economy? They don't know. I was like, I don't know. This is, I proved that this equal to that, but they don't understand. And, um, and again, and I think the whole field is becoming more and more technical. And this is kind of, I, I think that um, maybe, I don't want to say dangerous, but I just, I just hope that it's not, it's not a new trend that the economists are so involved in this, you know, high-level math and statistics that they forgot about that they forget about economics. And to be fair, all that math didn't help us much in 2008. It Nothing predict could predict anything. anything. Yeah. So, so I want to ask you this. Um, you know, a criticism that a lot of us have of, of the profession is that academic publishing seems to be a racket. In other words, advancement in, in that field, just like almost all academic fields, is oftentimes based on publishing. So people write obscure articles in obscure journals, and this is the path to, uh, to advancement in their career, rather than being dedicated to teaching. So give us your thoughts on publishing. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that point, and I think that the kind of uh, teaching has been emphasized at a lot of places, and again, this is, very upsetting to me because I'm very dedicated teacher. Hopefully my students view me like this, but I uh, spend a lot of time and effort preparing for my classes. And and even at my department, especially the, the newest hire that we have, they completely devalue teaching and they emphasize. They think that their job is just to sit and, you know, just write their papers and, and they don't think teaching is important. Like to me, being a professor, teaching is the most important part. Like if you want to advance the field of economics and this should be the most important part, but not, I mean, research should be important as well. But what I see at a lot of places that, you know, teaching is being completely devalued and people just, you know, teach the same stuff for 20 years. Like they spend five minutes preparing for their classes, you know, use lecture notes. You know, when things change and evolve every day, they are talking about some models or some stuff that was going on 10 years. But this is all obsolete. You can't talk, you can't use this textbook that was, you know, relevant 20 years ago today because things are changing every day. And uh, I've been teaching principles of macro class since I joined the economics department in 2006, but every semester I change my lecture notes. And Every class before I go teach, I update it with the newest data available. I think this is, you have to make it relevant because what's the point of teaching economics if I talk about what was, I mean, I talk about what was going on in the 70s and 80s, but I cannot give my students and discuss, uh, you know, a recession of 1970s and not discuss what's going on today. But a lot of people, because they think teaching is not important, they just, I think, don't put enough effort and don't emphasize teaching that much so they think like, oh, I should spend 80% of my time doing my own research rather than, you know, preparing lecture notes and updating all the data. Well, and let's not forget, a lot of these people are tax paid by taxpayers to do this. And, and I mean, and this isn't just ac economics, this is all academia. I mean, it, we, I think a lot of us in this room, we get the perception that for academic students are almost a nuisance. 
even the university that funds them is almost a nuisance. They, they exist to be this brilliant academic who's just, you know, supported uh, financially, however. But, I mean, on, honestly, I think, that's, a, I think that's, that's reached scandalous proportions in the U.S., uh, the bad teaching. I find my students very often very surprised that I have an open-door policy, and I'm always there to help them, give advice, and sometimes just not even related to my class, but about their future career. And they all tell me, you're so nice and so helpful. I said, that's my job. You guys are paying me for that. But and then I figured that not all people like that. You yeah. know? So they, like you said, they, they find students irritating and like you're disrupting their day if you come by to ask a question or ask for help with the homework. And uh, this is what I also find upsetting. And, uh, and I don't understand why is it this way and when things changed, you know? Like, is it, was it uh, recently or was it 20 years ago that, or is it some university's policies that, you know, kind of they emphasize teaching and put more stress on, uh, on research? I don't know where it all happened, but um, this is not how I view my job. So I think, you know, my, my main goal is to teach classes, and that's why I put a lot of effort into preparing for my classes. Well, it sounds like a system that's ripe for disruption. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people in this room have read Brian Kaplan's book on the subject. But I want to touch on a related topic, which is tenure. I think a lot of us understand conceptually the idea of tenure is, is a good one. In other words, uh, people in academic posts should be able to pursue research or truth or writing and, and write whatever they, they believe to be true uh, without fear of losing their income as a result of it. But the flip side of that is you get arrogance and laziness. So tenure, I don't know how, how many of you guys are aware of the tenure system and what that means. So tenure essentially means, uh, you know, lifetime employment. So once you, usually most schools, they give you seven years and you have certain requirements, depends on department and university. So you get, you know, a certain number of papers you have to publish and uh, they look at your teaching. I get teaching evaluations and then you either pass or you fail. And then you get, um, you know, if you get your tenure, it means lifetime employment. And this is what you usually have that, um, you know, people get lazy and they don't change their lecture notes for 30 years. And today they will be talking about what was going on in the 80s, you know, without discussing um, current economic policy and what's going on in the world. So it has, so this is a big, I think, flip side of that, you know, that people are just not motivated unless they like personally motivated. Like for me, I'm, of course, I'm getting paycheck from Auburn University for teaching my classes, but I really enjoy teaching. So this brings me joy to work with young people and, you know, be asked questions and then, you know, have discussions with young people and listen to different opinions. I really enjoy that. So I am a tenured professor, but I still, you know, I believe I still put the same effort into teaching my classes as I did before I had tenure, but not all people like that. And this is the big negative side of, um, you know, tenure in an academic profession. So talk about your students themselves. Um, do you feel that they come out of uh, high school prepared to do undergraduate economics? As I mentioned before, most students come with a very wrong perception of what economics is as a field. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, it was taught by a baseball coach or football coach. 
<laughs> at high school, and they were just. Do you think that is the case that e economics is sort of shunted off to the side in high school, and it's just it's it's not yeah. given very serious. I mean, that's my perception. That again, I don't know. It's just I don't have a firsthand experience, but that's what I hear more and more because I was like trying to get down to the you know uh, where does this problem? Why do they think economics is this way? It's completely wrong, and then I think just the way it's it's taught at you know high schools. Um, so they come to my class, most of them just very discouraged and un unmotivated. <laughs> so they expect, you know, economics class to be very boring and something for most of them, like all business majors had to take my principles of macro class. So they just think, okay, I'll sign up for this huge lecture, you know, lecture hall class, which mine is, and just disappear in the crowd, you know, I'll... I don't know, I'll, I'll sit through class and shop on internet or play video games, you know, and get my C or my B and be done with it. And it just, you know, it's so boring. And a lot of people think that it's hard. That, I don't know, they probably heard that we use math in economics and math is usually the scary word or graphs, even scarier. So a lot of students intimidated by that. So I get these two, like, but usually the perception of economics is very negative. That's my experience, so when I come to my class. And uh, when I start lecturing uh, in that big class in Louder here, which is usually have 260, 290 students, they're usually very surprised when I start walking between the aisles and ask questions, and they're like, what does she want? She's just supposed to read off PowerPoints, and we all sleep and go home. Um, but then they kind of you know, get interested, I think, and start participating. So I usually have the front row people more motivated, and they start asking questions. But then even in the middle of the room, some people perk up and like, Oh, this is something cool she's, you know, talking about or she's asking for our opinion. But the at the beginning the perception is very negative, I think, of economics as a field. But by the end of the semester, I have I would like to think that I have a lot of people that I change their perception of economics and they get a lot more interested and I see a lot of students from that principal class taking my intermediate class because they want to know more and I I always have at least, you know, a handful of students switching major to economics after they take my principles of macro class because it's like, oh, that's actually something very cool. It can be very useful, you know, if you understand it and something that we can apply to everyday life and, and teaches us how to make decisions and so on. So your principles class is more than 200 students? Yes. That's, is, that's pretty challenging. That's pretty daunting, I would say, for both the students and Usually the professor. Usually 260 between 260 and 290. Wow, that's a huge class. And so how, how does that work? I mean, you're going to have a you're going to have a range of interests in that class. You're going to have a range of, of aptitude, a range of effort. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you view it as you, you reach who you can reach in the class? Yeah, so I usually just... You know, the, the, the front half of the room are the ones who are range probably from quite interested to a little bit interested, somewhat interested, and the back of the room, I just ignore them. But I see people moving to the front from the back of the room, you know, so I was like, okay, I've done my job. I see that person is trying to move closer, you know, and they start asking me questions. But in a big um, class like that, you said, you know, you have a whole range of um, 
of interest and like some people it doesn't matter what I do what I talk about they're just not interested you know they're not interested in anything they're probably just you know interested in the next party they're going to but uh, that changes as they mature and I had some students that would take my principal's class and like barely got a C and then I see them in my intermediate class I had one kid like that he was a strong B, and then he take advanced macro class, he was an A, and then he went on to get master's degree, and he was the best student. So I just was very happy to see him mature. And so he went from like no interest whatsoever, you know, just got a passing grade to becoming this outstanding, uh, outstanding student. And this is, this is like what makes me very happy. If I see these kids who just there because, you know, their academic advisor told them that's the required class. So they have to be there. But then I see them like genuinely being interested in the subject. So that's when I feel, you know, I feel like I've done my job. They're not just doing this for a grade or for their degree, but they want to know more. They're curious about the field that they want to learn. How do you think we might go about getting more Austrian content into curriculum, curricula, uh, how we might go about getting more Austrian or Austrian-friendly profs into academia? Because it seems like, it, honestly, it seems like we do better with lay audiences and getting people to read Mises or Hayek or Rothbardar on their own, which is something we've all done um, outside of the, you know, the assigned coursework. But um, how do we, you know, you say there's basically a, a Keynesian perspective taught. Uh, how, how should we go about uh, ameliorating this? I think probably one way would be if someone writes a book, which, you know, a principal stack book that includes like these different school, uh, you know, of economic thoughts, including Austrian. So it's not all just Keynesian. And then just write your own textbook. Yeah. And then like, you know, <laughs> let people adopt it. And I think it, it would be it would be quite popular. It should be, again, not very challenging and very intuitive. So you always have to think about the level of your audience, right? So you can't have something like very complicated, but just a basic uh, economic textbook and uh, that just has these different perspectives, not just Keynesian, including Austrian, you know, so that students um, could learn about, you know, this is Keynesian economics is not the only the only type of economics. And this is what they call economics usually means Keynesian. Right. Well, we could have yeah. a whole another show about uh, the publishing, textbook publishing racket. So we have time for one last question. I want to ask about the S word, socialism, which seems to be uh, looming in our country in some senses. Uh, generally speaking, Auburn kids are considered maybe slightly more conservative than, uh, than kids at, at some universities. But um, g give us your thoughts on this. Are, are young people, and, and your students in particular, are they gullible about socialism? Do they understand it? What are their thoughts? Yeah, probably compared to other schools, like, I don't know, Duke or Harvard or Berkeley, <laughs> Auburn students a little bit more conservative, but I still see a lot of uh, students in my class that are very pro-socialism. And usually those students are very brainwashed, so they don't really understand what socialism is. So, because when I ask, you know, when I kind of initiate discussion and when I see, um, hear their arguments, like why do they favor socialism, they don't know much. And I was like, you cannot be in favor of something if you don't even know what that is. So this is what, uh, what I find. But I actually had a lot of students that, you know, very, uh, very pro-social in my class. And 
I was happy to see that by the end of the semester, even my intermediate class, a lot of them changed their mind, or at least they are not so like stuck on the idea. So it's just like this ideology, and they don't, they don't understand what it is, but they think that it's better than market economy. And I was like, no, you cannot favor something without knowing what it is or providing argument why this is better than market economy or any other kind of economy. Um, so at least, and I've been able to, to convince at least a handful of students that socialism is not such a, such a great idea. Maybe providing my personal examples, you know, growing up in Soviet Union and just initiating discussions in my class. Um, but uh, in most cases, what I find the student, they just, it's kind of, I don't know, it's like their religion. They don't understand what it is. And usually they are very aggressive and they don't really wanna, and they are very defensive or they don't even wanna discuss it. They, they'll just say it's better. And when I ask them, why is it better? Can you tell me why is it better? They, they can't say anything. So they usually start attacking me on something else. You know, like um, I was talking about, and I was just discussing something in my intermediate class about normal good and inferior good. And I was just giving an example, just random example about um, some types of good that you know, change from being inferior to normal. So inferior good is something that you consume more when your income um, when your income goes down. So for example, used car is an inferior good. So I was talking about breastfeeding and I said, that's a very interesting research. And I said, I'm a mother, I have three children. So I gave them and I guess they were all very young so they can relate to that. But some girl immediately started attacking me. And I said, uh, so what I was telling them about is that breastfeeding became a normal good. It used to be inferior in the 70s. So young, uh, so poor women used to breastfeed children because formula was expensive. Now it's all changed. Mothers who have advanced graduate degrees, uh, PhDs and masters, 90% of mothers breastfeed their children. While poor people use formulas. So why? So I was just discussing. Why do you think this good flipped? She she was attacking. I thought she was gonna scratch my eyes out, and she said because poor mothers, unlike you, they did not have a luxury of their own office, like pumping your milk and breastfeeding your child. They have to work three jobs, you know, minimum wage jobs. And she was not even like that's not when I wanted to discuss. She was just immediately attacking me. So that's what I find. And with some other discussions that we had is, um, you know, uh, they're just very angry. <laughs> it's almost kind of like a religion for them, and they believe it. I believe in God, right? And that is like, I believe in socialism. But why you ask them why, you ask for more questions, they can't provide any arguments. They start usually attacking you. And... But anyway, so that the girl, she was a polyscience major. She just graduated with a degree in economics. And she told me, <laughs> she told me that my class changed her and then she decided to drop her polyscience major and she became, she actually graduated with, and she went, I think she, she's going to law school somewhere. But uh, when I met her in my class, she was just very angry. You know, she was just, anything I said, she would just attack me because she kind of feel that my viewpoints were different than hers, you know, and um, because I, I, when I introduced myself, I tell them, well, I grew up in Soviet Union, so given my background, I am 
more pro-market than pro-government. You guys, you guys can get that. I don't belong to any political party or anything like that. And I think from that moment, she was just... Uh, she did not like me at all, and she was just very aggressive, but that changed throughout the semester. So anyway, and she graduated with a degree in economics, and she's like, well, thank you so much for putting up with me and, you know, starting the discussions. But um, so I find a lot of young people like that, you know, they just, uh, they defend it, and they don't know what that really is, because it's almost like a religion for them. Well, we have to end on that note. That's Peak America 2019, woke 20-year-olds explaining socialism to somebody from the former Soviet Union. Big thanks for Dr. Liliana Stern. Thank you. Thank you. The Human Action Podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and on Mises.org. Subscribe to get new episodes every week and find more content like this on Mises.org.